Now for this morning, we are still in James, although just for this week, because um, what I wanted to do, um, if you remember, we were looking at Mark's Gospel, and I stopped Mark's Gospel, um, because we were getting to the time when we see the, the... the rest of Jesus, the trials of Jesus, and leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection. I thought it would be better to do that leading up to Easter. So next week we're going to go back where we left off in Mark's Gospel, and we're going to look, leading up to Easter particularly, at the cross, the resurrection, uh, the trials, and all the other things leading up to that. So for this week, for the last time, just for a, a short while, after Easter we'll come back to James, we're in James. And we're looking at James chapter 1 verse 19 to 22. Um, I wrote these uh, sermons actually at the beginning of the first lockdown. If you were um, at home I was giving out uh, the notes and giving out the the discs and so on. Um, And I was looking on Monday reading through the notes uh, of this sermon thinking, ah it's the same warning again about trusting God's word. And I was praying about it and I was saying to God, oh it's the same warning again. Um, Of course I have to because it it comes up. But then God said to me very clearly, it's when I stop warning, that's when you really have to worry. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, In the Old Testament we see that God is very patient and he continues again and again. But then when we get to the flood he says, I will no longer strive with mankind. And that's why the flood occurred. So I thought it was very interesting when I stop warning, that's when you need to be concerned. So it's good that we get these warnings from God's word. So let's all stand as we consider God's word. James chapter 1, verse 19 through to verse 22. As James continues, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone should be quick in the hearing, slow in the speaking, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And prove yourselves to be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. God bless his word as we consider that in just a moment. Before we do so, let's come to God in prayer. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word and all that it means to us. God Almighty, the creator of all things, speaking to his people. What an amazing thought that is. We thank you, Lord, that we have your Holy Spirit within us to encourage us, to guide us in your word, to cause us to grow, to literally be transformed, to be matured. And therefore, and the most important aspect of all that is, therefore we can praise you, we can worship you, we can honour you as our Lord and our God, as you should be honoured. And we have that relationship with you that will go on into eternity. We thank you for all of this, and we're thanking you again really for Jesus, because it's only through Jesus that all of this was made possible. And as he ascended into heaven, he promised that he would be sending his Holy Spirit who came on the day of Pentecost and he lives within all people. We thank you that he's within us now. And we pray that you'll open our hearts to your word and open my mouth to speak your word for your glory. Amen. Now we see the the same theme really in the Old and in the New Testament concerning God's word. Um, The longest psalm in the Old Testament is actually Psalm 119. And it's all about the Bible, really. It's all about God's word. And it says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. One way to define a genuine believer is that they are one who walks 
in the way of the Lord. That's how the Old Testament puts it. In other words, genuine believers subscribe their lives to all that God says in the Bible. You see the same in the Psalms. Well, let me not wander from your commandments. That's um, what God says in the Bible. Let me not wander from what you say. And then it says in verse 14 of Psalm 119, I have rejoiced in the way of your words as much as in all riches. We're also told in the Psalms to value God's word beyond silver and gold. And that really means beyond anything material. The marking of the words of a genuine believer is their desire to pattern their lives after God's word. On the other hand, unbelievers do not seek God's word. They do not live according to what God says in his word. And if you want an example of that, just look around the world today. You see that um, delineated really in Psalm 119 verse 155. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not your statutes. In other words, they don't accept what you say. In other words, salvation is far from those who don't accept what you say. As I said, that's why preaching is so important. That's why I concentrate a great deal on preaching, because God tells me so in his word. The growth of the individual, the growth of the church, is dependent upon preaching, as God's word makes very clear. A few examples. Uh, Psalm 16, verse 18, uh, Jesus says, He will build his church. In other words, he builds the church. We don't build the church, he does it. And we are the tools through which he works quite often, but he builds it, therefore he gets the glory. We see in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 that the growth is dependent, as we see in the early church pattern, upon teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. That's what the growth of the church is dependent upon, it says in Acts 2 verse 42. We see that put into action in Acts chapter 6 where the early church leaders appointed helpers so that they could concentrate on prayer and preaching the Bible, preaching and teaching particularly. 1 Timothy 4 verse 13, Paul says that all spiritual leaders such as Timothy, he's talking to Timothy but he's talking to all leaders, should do the same. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 to 3, Paul says that we should preach and insist upon proclaiming the word even if the time is not right. In other words, the time's always right. You see that same theme in the Old Testament, Joshua 1 verse 8 says that success is a result of reading, studying and applying God's word to our lives. And Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us why that is so important that we concentrate on the Bible because it says it's alive, it's active, it cuts all the way through to where soul and spirit meet and it's capable of judging even our thoughts and intentions. It's not just a book. That's why we're warned by God in Revelation 22 verse 18 and 19. Don't change it. Don't add a single word. In fact, John 17 verse 17 says we are sanctified. That is, we are made holy. Again, by his word. This word also sets us free. We're told in John chapter 8 verse 31 and 32. And just to give you an example for the Old Testament, Psalm 119, verse 9, 10 and 11 says, It's only by living according to God's word that we can keep our lives pure and live holy lives and not sin against God. However, as I've mentioned many times today, we do have people picking and choosing which bits of the Bible that they accept, creating, uh, therefore, a God in their own image. Which is what the cults do. This is why we have cults, because they pick and choose which bits they like 
and they make up a whole false religion as a result. Far too often people come across something they don't like the look of, they just they either ignore it or they say that it doesn't really fit with today's society. But I can't warn you too much, every single word of the Bible is critically important because it's all spoken by God Almighty himself. And one day we'll stand before God to answer for him for how we treated his word. I'll tell you what God says, you don't answer to me, you answer to God. The Bible claims for itself that it's nothing less than the word of God. So when the Bible speaks, God himself speaks. That's why we should believe it. That's why we should obey it. And that's why, as I've already mentioned, we get that warning on the very last page. Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19. We can't add to it, or we can't take away from it, or we face the wrath of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18, Don't think that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I haven't come to destroy them. Truly I say to you, I've come to fulfil them. Until heaven and earth pass, not one jot, not one tittle shall pass from the law until all is fulfilled. So what Jesus is saying there is that um, you can't even mess with the dots on the eyes, let alone ignore entire verses, until he returns. And then we won't need God's word anymore because we'll be in heaven. And he says in John 10 verse 35 that scripture cannot be broken. The Bible, therefore, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's total. It's complete. It's the final revelation of God. There's nothing missing and there's nothing in it that is not of God. There's no errors. It's all true and it's all relevant for today. The fact is, if there was error, then 2 Peter 1 verse 20, for example, is a lie that God did not move men by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God. And if that's a lie, then God's a liar and God didn't write the Bible and then he's not God. It's that important. That's why it's so very important. That's why we need to accept God's word. It is therefore the desire of the genuine believer to walk in the law of God. And that's really what the Bible says because it's the desire of the unbeliever to avoid the law of God. People who don't accept God certainly don't want to listen to what he says and they certainly don't want to live according to how he tells them to live, which is for their benefit. God doesn't give us all of these, um, not that he gives us just rules and regulations, but he doesn't give us ways to live for his benefit. In one sense, how we live doesn't really affect God, he's God. But he does it because it's for our benefit. But the fact is, the people of the world don't like it. They don't like what God has to say on many things. And that's the difference that we see here in James. Because James has given us here the difference between the unbeliever and the believer. And he's really saying there in this passage, as he will be saying again in the future, that genuine believers accept God's word in their lives. They don't pick and choose which bits, they just accept it. And James is saying here that a person's attitude towards the word of God is a test of the nature of their faith. If a person has a true, genuine belief, they will have a strong, compelling desire to hear, to obey God's word. And that's something that's there in their lives because the Holy Spirit implants it into them. There is a negative aspect to this. We see that in John 5, verse 37 and 38. As the Father himself has sent me and borne witness of me, 
You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form, because you do not have his word abiding in you. If you do not believe in him who has sent me. And Jesus is saying there that you don't believe in him, therefore you don't have his word abiding in your heart. Obviously the reverse of that is true. If you do believe in him, you will have his word abiding in your heart. You will be committed to the truth of the Bible. You will accept what God says. We see Jesus again says in John 8 verse 31, to those Jews who believed in him. Now these are people who believed in him. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. Jesus said, accepting and continuing in his word is a mark of a genuine Christian. Not just believing in him, he says, because he's talking to people who believe. And he said, if you do this, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. So again, it's a question of your attitude to God's word. We see in John 17, verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now all of these passages, all these quotes I've just given you, identify true saving faith as a heartfelt desire in a Christian. A desire to hear, to obey what God says. And in our passage for this morning, James is giving us the, exactly the same proof of saving faith. Remember, as we've seen in previous weeks, throughout this entire epistle, what he's doing, he's given us tests of what it actually means to be a Christian. Tests for genuine faith. The whole epistle is a series of tests as to the reality of your faith or the lack of your faith. Remember we saw the first test was how you respond to trials. How you respond to trials, difficulties in your life, that shows how your faith is genuine or false. The second one he gave, we saw, was not just trials but also how you respond to temptation. We saw that last week and the week before. And the third test that we come into now is how you respond to the word of God. We'll see more tests in the future after Easter. So how a person, James is saying, how a person responds to trials is a, a test of their faith. How a person responds to temptation is another test of their faith. And now how a person responds to the word of God, the Bible, is also another indicator, another test of their faith. And he says it's because, as we saw last week in James 1 verse 18, God's word is the originator of new birth. It's the, the means by which you are actually saved. That's the theme of James 1 verse 18. We saw it last week. The word of truth makes us a new creation. In other words, we're saved by hearing God's word. We see that in many passages in the Bible. And that word of truth is not there for just the beginning, but what James is now saying to us, it doesn't just save you in the first place, it causes you to grow, to mature, to be drawn nearer to God throughout your life as a Christian. So you're saved by the word, and you grow over a lifetime, again, by the word. That's how important the Bible is. It's the power of your new life, your new birth, and it's a continuing power, strength and all that you need to grow to mature as a Christian. This is why Peter says in his epistle, like babies desire the pure, uh, pure milk, you should desire the pure milk of the word in order that you may grow. Having been born again by the word, he says, we then become its pupils. In other words, your heart's desire is to listen 
to the Bible, learn from the Bible, respond to the Bible in the same way that a baby craves milk. I mean, you don't have to teach a baby to want milk. You don't have to teach a baby and a child to, to eat. They will eat. It's an inbuilt desire. It's a, it's a craving to eat. And as soon as a baby arrives, it will continue to eat until the day it dies an old life. All the way through with just a normal inbuilt hunger. Now James is saying, uh, Peter I should say, is saying, that's what the Bible should be like for you as God's people. It should just be an inbuilt desire. In fact it is an inbuilt desire because you have the Holy Spirit living within you. So the genuine believer transformed by the word, linked to the word, and has that inbuilt spiritual appetite, just like a baby has an inbuilt physical attitude to want to eat food, you, if you're a genuine Christian, will have that inbuilt desire. I mean, it's not because you're necessarily a mature Christian or, or anything else, it's because the Holy Spirit makes you. you. You don't have a choice, you crave God's word, you can't help it. You want to read it, you want to study it, because the Holy Spirit is pushing you. The appetite is natural, and it's an indication that you're saved. It shows that you're a genuine Christian. And if it's not there, if you have no desire at all to be interested in what God says in his word, then that's pretty clear of the absence of new birth. Now James does make uh, two points, major points in this regard. The first is that saving faith is marked by a proper reception of God's word. And the second point is really saying saving faith is marked by a proper reaction to God's word. Today I just want to look at the first one, a proper reception of God's word. It's in verses 19 to 21, he says this, You know, my beloved, uh, beloved brethren, let everyone be quick in the hearing... Slow in the speaking, and slow in anger. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Therefore put aside all filthiness and abundance of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The context here, in other words, is the Bible. The key word is receive. James is talking about how you receive the word of God, how you receive the Bible. And he's saying if you're a true believer, if you really say it, if you're a genuine Christian, you do receive God's word. You accept all of God's word, you want to obey it. And when you disobey it, it upsets you. Because it's not really what you want to do. You will disobey it. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. You will sin. But when you do, you know it because you have the Holy Spirit within you, living within your life. And you will be upset. That's what James is saying here, the true saving faith is marked by a desire for the proper reception or acceptance of the Bible. That's James' point. Jesus says the same in Matthew chapter 13 verse 1, he gives a parable about four soils, about how people receive the Bible, how people receive God's word. Some hear, some don't. Some hear and then respond but then give up, but some accept it. And he says in verse 18, blessed are your ears for they hear and your eyes for they see blessed are you because you understand what has been hidden from the wise and the prudent and the unbelieving and what Jesus is saying there that you're blessed if you're one of my people because you hear and you see you understand God's word it's hidden from everybody else that's what Jesus says there Paul says the same in 1 Corinthians it's hidden and genuine believers accept it. Why? Because their faith is real. 
They've made a connection with the living God. And the Holy Spirit lives within them. So they crave God's word. Of course there'll be times when you will disobey something in God's word. But you do accept it. And you know when you have disobeyed it. Genuine believers accept God's word as still totally relevant and true for today. Now, this shows that we are genuine believers. That's James' point. But he says as well, as well as that, you do need to cultivate that as well in your life. And he gives us three things. Uh, right response to the word involves three things. And the first thing he's really saying here is you need to receive God's word with submission. You need to receive God's word with submission. The opposite to people who don't believe in God, we see in 2 Timothy 3 verse 8, unbelievers always resist the truth. They don't want to hear what God says. They don't want to know what God says. They don't want to do what God says. Obviously, they don't like a lot of what God says in the Bible, but Christians, believers, accept it. Just as typically true faith receives God's word, it's willingly, it's in an attitude of submission. Uh, James 1 verse 19 says, This you know, my brothers. What's he saying there? This you know. What, what do you know? Well, read it in the context. You know, back in verse 18, that the power of the word, that's the Bible, is able to beget you, is able to give you life. That's the context. So, James is saying there, you know that the Bible gives you life. Because of that, you need to live by it. Since you've experienced the power of God's word, since you are now a, a new creation, you have to work. You have to do your part. It's not just a case of, oh well it's okay, I'm a Christian now, um, the Holy Spirit's in my life, um, he'll make me do the right thing, I don't need to worry about anything, and you just sit back and you do nothing. That's not the point. You have to actually do something. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to study the Bible. You've got to listen to the Bible. You've got to come along to church and hear it preached. You've got to come along on a Wednesday and hear it spoken of. You've got to do your part. You've got to continue to let it work in your life. And that's what James is saying here. That's the context. He says, God's brought us forth by the word. Now he wants us, um, in the words of Jesus, not to live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus took that from Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. And what Jesus is saying there, and what James is saying the same, it's by the continual faithful um, hearing, reading, studying, memorising, meditating upon God's word, that gives you the power, the strength, and everything you need to grow, to mature, to live as a Christian. You need it. You're dependent upon it. And we'll see that when finally we get to verses 22 to 27. But it all begins with an attitude of accepting what God says as true and as relevant for today. One of the biggest problems in the church which cripples the power of God is people who don't accept all of God's word. It's a huge problem, far bigger problem than many people realise. And it's getting worse every year. And it will continue to get worse because Jesus warned us about it. And for those of you who were coming along on a Monday when we had the Bible study, we were looking at Revelation, it told us it's going to get worse. There will be wars, there will be pandemics, there will be rumours of wars, and people will not accept God's word. That's happening right now. It's happening right now and it's getting worse every day. The problem is, people accept a lot of what the Bible, but when it comes to certain verses, they just either conveniently ignore them, or they just refuse to accept them as true, despite the clear warnings of Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19. 
That's what Jesus has warned us about. And we see the same in the Old Testament. Jeremiah says, your words were found and I did eat them. Jeremiah is bringing in that analogy again of desiring the Bible more than food. As Peter says, more than babies even desire milk. And James says, verse 19, but let everyone, in, in other words all of you believers, worship God, accept his word, live by his word. It's connected to verse 18, the word of truth. And he says, this you know, you already know it. You know that you were born by the word. You know that it's God's word in your life. You know that, but it's not enough. You've got to follow up on what you already know. You know the power of word in salvation. Now, be quick to the listening, be slow to the speaking, and slow to anger. What does that actually mean? What does he mean here? Why does he suddenly say, be quick to the listening, be slow to the speaking, and slow to anger? Well, think about the context again. He's talking about God's word. He's just talked about it in verse 18. He talks about it again in verse 19 and 20. So it's about the Bible. And the Greek actually is, be quick to the hearing. As if it were um, hearing a sermon or a lesson. That's what he says, be quick to the hearing. He's talking about God's word. In other words, listen to what God says in his Bible. It's how you respond to God's word. That's what James' uh, concern is here. Be quick to the hearing. It's, in other words, uh, pursue every uh, opportunity to, to gain a knowledge of God's word. Now that's a mark of a genuine believer. You show me somebody who has no desire to be under the teaching of the Bible, I'll show you somebody who doesn't have any marks of being a Christian. That's what James is saying here. That's the mark of being a Christian. True believers run to God's word, they long to read it, they want to learn it, they want to hear it, they want to live by it. Because they have that inbuilt desire. Again, not because of us, but because of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It's absolutely essential that we desire God's word because we are dependent upon it. We can't help it. As I said before, when we go through trials that are difficult and demand wisdom and strength, we go to the Bible. When we go through to temptations, we go to the Bible. What did Jesus do when he was tempted in the wilderness? Every time the devil came at him, what did he do? He went straight to the Bible. He quoted the Bible every single time. We see in Psalm 119 verse 11, Your word I've hidden my heart so that I will not sin against you. It's only by hiding his word in our heart that we can grow, that we can mature, that we can not sin. So the word of God is a source of deliverance from trials. It's a source of deliverance from temptation. And it's the thing that causes you to grow in your life. And if you're a genuine believer, you have that inbuilt desire to want to hear, read, study, memorise, because the Holy Spirit's within you. And that's the way that God speaks to us, through his word. If we really love him, we listen as he speaks through his word, taking every opportunity to listen. In other words, what James is saying here is, do you, as an individual, have a hunger for God's word in your life? Or is it just something that you could take or leave? Do you really have a tremendous desire to learn God's word? Do you long to grow spiritually? Do you have an appetite for the word of God? If you do, that's an indicator, James is saying, that you're a genuine Christian. Charles Wesley put it very beautifully in one of his lesson on hymns. When I quietly sit in my room, thy book be my companion still, my joy thy sayings to repeat, 
Talk all the records of thy will and search the oracles divine till every heartfelt word is mine. What Wesley's saying there is, you know, when he sat, he sat there with the Bible, he reads it and he goes over it and it's a joy and a, a heartfelt word is his. Um, he's really echoing Psalm 119 verse 111 he says, Your words I've taken as a heritage forever, they are the rejoicing of my heart. Wesley's saying it's a, it's a joy, it's a rejoicing of my heart. So the true believer is going to be marked by that inbuilt desire, that hunger for God's word. Of course, that inbuilt hunger can get dulled by all that the world throws at us, but deep down inside there's always that great longing in the genuine Christian for God's word. It's like if you don't eat, you just get hungry, you want to eat. How eager are you to come along on a Sunday? How eager are you to come along to the Bible study on a Wednesday? How eager are you to, to want to study God's word for yourself, in your own house, in your own room, just quietly away from everyone else? James is saying, all this, these are questions you need to ask yourself. Are you quick to the listening of God's word? But then he says, are you slow to the speaking? Again, the context is God's word. So what does he mean? The literal Greek says, slow for the speaking. The speaking. Again, the context God's word. So what he's saying here is, don't ever presume to stand at the front, like I'm doing now, and preach God's word, unless you're really, really sure that you should be there. First of all, unless you fit the qualifications in God's word, and secondly, because you're prepared for all that encompasses. Be quick to hear it, but don't be quick to jump to the front and start preaching it. It's a warning. He's saying you should hear the word, take every opportunity to hear the word, but be very careful about preaching it. He tells us that in the next chapter, well not the next chapter, the third chapter. Chapter 3 verse 1 he says, not many of you should become teachers. He's talking about teachers of the word. Knowing that you will incur a stricter judgment. He warns us, don't ever preach or teach God's word unless God himself calls you to do it. And if he does, you won't have a choice. He will make you do it. He made me do it. I didn't particularly want to do it. But he just, if you are meant to do it, he will. Um, think of Jonah, for example. He's a great example. He definitely did not want to do it. He ran in the other direction didn't make any difference. He had no choice. God told him to do it, he was going to do it. And he went kicking and screaming to do it, but he still had to do it. He will have no choice. But, be very slow before you stand up and offer yourself as somebody who teaches God's word. That's why it says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, no one should embark upon the role of the pastor teacher if they are a new convert. Um, why? Hebrews 13 verse 17 says Obey those who rule over you That's talking about the pastors Who watch over your souls Because they have to give an account to God For you You have to give an account to God So don't jump into the role Of standing at the front Preaching and teaching quickly If God's called you, yes But don't do it unless you're really sure we see with John Knox um, when he was called to preach. John Knox was a great preacher in Scotland. His biographer says, um, talking about every time Sunday got nearer, he burst forth in most abundant tears and he withdrew himself to his chamber. His countenance and behaviour from that day until the day he was compelled to present himself in the public place of preaching did sufficiently declare the trouble and the grief of his soul. 
John Knox knew that it was a frightening responsibility to preach and it caused him trouble and grief in his soul. There was a young man who once went to the the great philosopher Socrates and he wanted to, to be taught how to speak in public. And the moment that he was introduced to Socrates, he just was talking an innocent and uh, unending incessant stream of words. He was just talking and talking and talking. And finally, Socrates stopped him and he got a word and he said, Look, I will instruct you in public speaking, but I'm going to have to charge you a double fee. And the man said, Why a double fee? And Socrates said, Well, first I'm going to have to teach you two sciences. First, how to hold your tongue. How to be quiet, how to shut up, and secondly, how to use it. And the two do go together, especially when it comes to God's word. There must be a certain reluctance before you're willing to speak it. I mean, these days there are so many people keen to become pastors of church, despite the clear qualifications and uh, prohibitions that God gives in his word. Many people are willing to stand up and proclaim the, the very same God who clearly prohibits them from doing so. This was a problem in James' congregation. We see that in James uh, verse 26. If anyone amongst you seems to be religious but can't bridle his tongue, he's a deceiver and his religious uh, religion is useless. He says in James 3 verse 1, as I've already said, let no, not many of you become teachers. It was a big problem in his church. And then in chapter 3 he goes on to talk about the tongue. You've got to control the tongue. Don't stand up and speak unless you are called to do so. And then James 4, he talks about the proud. There were proud people there who wanted to be heard, who wanted to preach, who wanted to teach, but they had no right to do so. Nothing changes, the same is true today. So James is saying, listen to the word, but be slow to speak it. And the third thing he says in submitting to the word, be slow to anger. Again, the context is the Bible. So what does he mean here? The Greek word, it doesn't mean uh, an outward anger, it means a a smouldering, deep resentment. So James is saying, yes, be eager to listen to the Bible, be cautious, don't just jump to the front in preaching it. But thirdly, when you do hear something from God's word, don't let any resentment build up inside you, because you don't agree with something that it says. Remember the context is the Bible, always take the context into consideration. Be slow to have that... And the Greek word means sort of smouldering anger in reaction to the Bible. Be slow to anger. And often when people are faced with what God really says in his word, they they can get quite hostile. They don't want to hear. They don't want to know what God says. James faced a similar problem in his church. Uh, There was murmurings, he says, there was evil speaking, there's hostility. And James chapter 4, he says, from where wars and fighting are amongst you. This is the church that he was the pastor at. How is it, he says, that you're at war with each other? Everybody wanted to be heard. Everybody had their own opinion. Everybody had their own view. You know, sometimes when you look at the New Testament, you think, you know, their churches must have been brilliant. I mean, Paul, the apostle, he must have had a brilliant church. It must have been perfect. And James, his church must have been fantastic. Actually, no. Uh, They had the same problems that we have. They all had Huge problems because of all this going on in the background. They all had anger, hostility and vitriolic attitudes flying around in that particular church with James. So James says, don't be like that, stop doing it. Don't reject. Don't have resentment. There might be a time when you come across something in God's word that you don't like. 
Just be patient, be cautious, don't reject anything from God's word. If God something, says something in the word that you don't like, you need to change, not God. You don't change the Bible to suit you. When God says something in his word that the world disagrees with, the world needs to change, not God. If you don't like what God says, change. Paul faced this problem. He says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He had a huge problem in his church. He says, have I become your enemy just because I'm telling you the truth? Some people didn't want to hear what Paul said. They didn't want to hear the truth. So James is saying, listen to the word at every opportunity that you have. Be reluctant to preach it, unless God himself calls you to, and then you'll have no choice anyway. And if you are in the category where God doesn't allow you to preach, then obviously he hasn't called you, however you feel. And if you taught something from God's word that you don't like, don't build up a resentment. Just accept God's word. James was trying to put the lid on the hostility and the, the confusion in that congregation. Why? He says in verse 20, because the wrath of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. There was resentment, there was rejection, there was resistance to the Bible. It does not, James is saying here, produce the righteousness of God. What does he mean by the righteousness of God? Well, basically he just means that which pleases God, that which is right before God. You can't please God if you've got resentment and anger towards his word. You can't please God if you reject and argue against what he says in his word. It will have the opposite effect on God. It will cause him to anger. There is anger, anger over holy things. Remember Jesus made a whip and he cleansed the temple, saying, you've turned my father's house, which is house of prayer, into a den of thieves. Sometimes God does get angry. And whatever you do, don't have any anger in your heart because you don't want to hear what God says. Or because you don't agree with what God has said. Or because it confronts your sin. Or whatever else. Because it might stop you from doing something that you want to do. If you do, you will face God's wrath. That's a fact. So the true believer will have a desire to hear the word of God. They will only preach it when God calls them to do and they won't have any hostility against anyone who teaches it. So first of all you receive the word of God with a submissive spirit. You also need to receive it, he goes on to say, with purity. And verse 21, putting aside any filthiness and abundance of wickedness, you need to receive the word with a pure life. You need to walk with God, you need to live for God, you've got to put off such things, you've got to unload some things, and also you need to do it in submission. He says in verse 21, with humility which is able to save your souls. And that just means that you're teachable. You submit to the Bible, whatever it says. When you come across something you don't like, you still accept God's word and you change. You don't try to change what he says. And when is it planted in your heart? At salvation. It says in Romans 1 verse 16, the Bible is the power of God to salvation. It's what causes you to be saved in the first place. But it is dependent upon your willingness to receive it in humility with a teachable spirit. That's what this section here in James 1 is all about. It's a right reception of God's word with a submissive heart, with a pure heart, with a humble heart, submissively, willingly. We should be like Mary when you think about it. Um, in Luke chapter 10 verse 39, who sat at Jesus' feet and just listened to everything he was saying. We should be like Cornelius 
in Acts 10 verse 33 who says we are all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded us of God we should be like the noble Bereans in Acts 17 who received the words and searched the scriptures daily they went away and they were reading the Bible themselves daily so we need to ask ourselves a question are we a receiver or a rejecter of God's word do we accept God's word do we desire to hear God's word can we identify with the people in Nehemiah chapter 8 when the leaders stood and read God's word the entire nation all stood up and they listened to the Bible all day standing the entire day listening to what was read we see that in Nehemiah chapter 8 they were filled with such exhilaration that they wept they mourned they celebrated the joy in their hearts just at the hearing of the word of the living God where are we in that where are we let's come to God in prayer Father we thank you for your word which is our life that's the reason we were saved to begin with and it's our continuing existence it's your word to us and it is alive and active cutting the way through to where soul and spirit meet to where joints and marrow come together judging the very desires the intentions of our heart what an amazing thought but Lord we pray that you forgive us and accept us when we disobey your word and help us to learn every day of our lives to draw nearer to you to grow to mature as your people people led by your word by what you say not what we say not what we think not what anybody says or think not that what the world or society or anybody else but what do you say father let us be people who are identified with that in our hearts amen